For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. War Eagle, everybody, and Happy New Year. Welcome back to Tiger Talk. It's been a minute, but I am your host, Taylor Davis, joined by Jason Campbell, here to talk all things Auburn football. It's been a minute since we last spoke. Hope everyone had a great Christmas, a Happy New Year, have enjoyed the holiday season, and are excited for a fresh start here in 2020. Jason and I are here to recap the Outback Bowl and talk about how Auburn concluded their season for the year. Not necessarily the most fun topic for today, given the outcome of the game, but we're going to do our best. Jason, how was your holiday season? Hey, Taylor. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> my holiday season was awesome. I got a chance to spend it with my parents, um, my family. So, uh, you know, anytime you get a chance to, to bring in, you know, to bring in Christmas and spend uh, New Year's with my Auburn family uh, this year. So that was exciting. Um, but the guys special. treated me well to my Auburn Sports Radio Network. They took me out to eat and got me two sets of dessert. And uh, oh. so, yeah, I can't complain, <laughs> but definitely, definitely making me work out right now. Well, before we get into the game, talk to me about the experience in Tampa. You were telling me a little bit before we started recording that the, the whole atmosphere and the event was great. So tell everybody a little bit about your trip. Yeah, Tampa was nice. Uh, of course, it was about a six-hour drive for us. Uh, rode down my boy, roommate, Ronnie Brown. So we got a chance to chit-chat about football and life. Uh, once we got down there, everything was set up nice. You know, Auburn alumni put on a couple of events. Uh, Tampa has done a really outstanding job in building their downtown up. Uh, they have a couple of great restaurants on the on the waterfront uh, with opportunities to go out and enjoy yourselves. We did the radio show down there with Auburn and uh, we had a lot of people show up and they sung happy birthday to me. So shout out to all the Auburn fans for, you know, your love and support. You showed me on my birthday and making it special. Aww, so I really that's appreciate awesome. that. Yeah, but it was, it was very nice. Can't complain about the weather, 78, 80 degrees and sunny. Um, I had to come back to Atlanta where it's forties raining, drizzling, Oh, yeah. Make you want to cry a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's a little sad right now. Well, I am pretty envious because on New Year's Eve, I had to work the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, and it was so cold. I lost feeling in my feet in like the Mm. second quarter. So I'm pretty envious of your little Florida vacation, but glad you got to spend your birthday down there. That's pretty fun. But what was not fun (laughs) was... You know, the result of the game. We're Mm. just going to dive right in, talk about this one. I want to get Jason's breakdown of these different position groups and just what the heck happened with this one. I mean, we, we talked about it heading into it, that Minnesota was a good team. They were a very good team, very well coached. They had a lot of talent and... It was going to be a tough test. We knew it. The disappointing thing is the way that Auburn played. It was completely contradicting of what we saw on the field for the Iron Bowl. And there's really no excuse for it. You have extra time to prepare. You have majority of your big names out there playing. You have momentum on your side. 
what they put on the field does not make sense to me. So um, I want to get your input on what you saw out there, but just give me your your overall take on this one, just what you saw for both of these teams. Because for me as a viewer, Minnesota seemed, we've talked about this all season, Minnesota seemed to have this high energy and this spark to them that I did not see in this Auburn team. And and that's been an issue all season. We saw it in some of the other big games. What did you kind of see on the field just as the overall persona of this Auburn team? Well, tell you just mentioned a lot of it. A lot of it was emotions and a lot of it was the will to want to win. And Minnesota yeah. showed a lot of that. And they played with so much passion, so much desire. And I even, you know, and as far as their fan base, like they was like live, like really mm-hmm. into it. And, uh, and you could tell, like, they took this game a whole lot more, uh, more serious than, than we did for whatever reason. But going into this game, I felt like Auburn was going to win this game. I know uh, anytime you're playing a 10-win 10 10 win season team, you know, you have to respect them. Like I said, they lost their last two games of the season. Yes, they did. They they lost some momentum there. But then Auburn, we was finishing on a high of the regular season and beating our, our most biggest rivalry. And for us yeah. to come into this game, you would think, like, hey, we would be the team looking like Minnesota and they would be looking like us. But they came out with well, they came out with, with, with the wheel. And the reason I say that yeah. is those kids was excited. They came out, they threw an interception. Boom, we get the ball. We run it back. We don't score, but we end up getting a field goal. Then they come right back and they just kept coming at us. And for them to rush the football the way they did against our defense – giving up four, 200 and I think 49 yards rushing and to our, to our 55 yards rushing, like they have a big offensive line. But those guys was 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 get, catching us in slants on defense and catching us in some blitzes and running opposite of us. But let's give them credit. Their coaches did an outstanding job of making adjustments and uh, and things during the game because the first kickoff, Igman Nogany ran it back for a touchdown. And right. then after that, they start squib kicking the rest of the game. And guess what that does for us, though? That give us great field position. And for whatever reason, on offense, we was not able to convert third down. We was not able to find a rhythm on offense. And most of the plays that we made on offense was kind of like bow scrambling outside the pocket and finding someone. But no rhythm plays where it's kind of like drop back and hitting guys or on the run and then – Offensive, we just couldn't get anything going to rush, and, and we couldn't block anyone. Most of our pass uh, pass protections were, were breaking down. So to me, that seemed like it was a lack of focus on Auburn's part, and mm-hmm. uh, and more focus on Minnesota part. And it, it is sad because this senior class has been so outstanding. They really left a good legacy, and you know you didn't want them their last game to be like this as if they enter enter to another life and another career. But it doesn't define them. But for the guys that are coming back, though, you got to look at this and say, how can we find consistency at Auburn? Like, how can we beat Alabama and then face a team like Minnesota, who we should beat? But respectfully, right. they're a good team, but we still should beat them. And we don't mm-hmm. show up, like, on in any phase of the game. And so, to me, we have to find out what's the issue there and why we can't find consistency. When we win a big game, follow that up by finishing it with another big game. I completely agree with you. I think that consistency has really been a problem, not just this season, in seasons past. And and that's when fans get so frustrated and and you start discussing Gus Malzahn and the coaching and, and where the source of the issue is because it never seems to be the talent. That's never what we're talking about. Like, oh, we can't get good recruits. We don't have enough star power. That's not the problem. The consistency is the issue. And when I was looking at this one, I mean, I 
I had a hard time finding a positive as far as gameplay goes. I mean, Minnesota won the turnover battle. They controlled time of possession. They were more creative offensively. They were more effective defensively. They were just better prepared. So how much of this do you attribute to the coaching? Well, you look at it, Taylor. Uh, the one thing that any coach would tell you, you know, they take it upon themselves first. Um, they always mm-hmm. say, you know, it's our job to get our kids and our guys prepared, ready to play. You know, I've heard it in high school. I've heard it in college. I've heard it at the pro level. And it's, and it's true, you know, because at the end of the day, as a parent, when you're developing your kid, it's your job to develop your children. So mm-hmm. when you're in coaching, it's the same way. And, uh, you know, you hear I heard Gus say it at, at halftime. I heard him say it after the game. You know, you got to find a way to, to figure out what's the issue and how can we get better and not let this happen again. And my thing is where Minnesota really beat us at was the sudden change. When sudden change happened, they capitalized on it, and we didn't. If you think back into right. the game, if we turn that interception to a touchdown with great field position right there, it does a huge wonder for our whole team. And then mm-hmm. even even this, they we run a kickoff back, they still respond. And then later in the mm-hmm. game, we get a fourth and one, they get a fourth and one, and we stop them on fourth and one, and we get the ball back, and it's 24 to 24, and we went three and out. And when you go three and out, you get a ball right back to them, and then what they do in the first play, play action pass and throw a post route for a touchdown. And now they're up 31-24, and it just deflates you because they won the sudden change, and, and, that's, how, and that's how you win these games. But as far as, like, the coaching aspect goes, you know, I heard Travis said, I heard uh, – Cadillac Williams said after the game, they're already preparing their guys for next for this spring. And they want to create a competitive environment this spring where guys have to fight and compete for positions. If you want to stay on the field, you're going to have to earn the right to stay on the field. And that mm-hmm. will help this team become better because no one can get complacent. And I feel like after we won the Alabama game, we might have been sitting on our laurels a little bit saying, oh, yeah, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. You know, we, we, we beat Bama, we beat our arch rival. But let's face it, though, we could have made it even better by beating Minnesota heading into the, the signing into spring. And Absolutely. We, and it didn't happen. It's all momentum. You want to talk, You want to have momentum moving into the spring. Yeah, I, I was disappointed by it. I think everyone was. And I, I want to get your analysis on a couple key points. Obviously, the offense, man, just could not get anything going. I mean – 53 plays the entire game. You're going to have a hard time winning on that. The way they controlled the clock was was going to be difficult for us to get anything off of. But I, I want to get your input on a couple key things here. For me in this one, when I was looking at it, the O-line was a huge problem. I, I don't know where the the miscommunication or the the lack of I mean, honestly, they looked a little lethargic out there. They right. they couldn't create holes. They weren't holding. I mean, Bo barely had time to go through his reads. He was scrambling constantly and 56 rushing yards with five of our running backs attempting to produce something. So the O-line was something that really seemed problematic to me. And that was strange to me. It just seemed like something was off. So give me your analysis on the O-line and the way they played in this game versus the rest of the season. Yeah, you're right. I, I was totally shocked because you think about the games that our, our offensive line had played over the last couple of games of the season, they did a really good job protecting Bo and giving Bo an opportunity yeah. to, to throw the ball from the pocket and to make accurate throws and plays. When I watched this Minnesota game, 
there was one time we didn't even block the end that was just on the line of scrimmage. And it wasn't even a yeah. blitz. It was just a regular defensive end. And he came directly for the quarterback and Bo was just able to run around him. But I was just like, how does that happen? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. to me, it was just a lack of focus and a lack of communication. And it tells me that maybe some guys was already checked out. You know, maybe the coaches mm-hmm. could have prepared them the best that they they could. But at the end of the day, some of the owners lands back onto the players as you got to play the game. And right. when you play the game, like you got to take some responsibility for for what you do on the field and, and, and your play. And for me, like a lot of it just looked like a lot of lack of focus by the player's point of just some of them feel like they was, I think it was already moving on. And hmm. and it's shocking to me because Marlon and, and Derek came back to play. And to me, I was like, man, that's a great sign that they was coming yeah. back to play. And those guys did. They still got a lot of push up front. They got a lot of push up front, but as a unit, we did not do what we need to do to 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 succeed in this game, and we couldn't get the run game going. And anytime you can't run the ball and you give up two hundred and forty nine yards rushing, you're going to get beat because the other team controls the clock and it control control the time of possession. Minnesota did one thing very outstanding. I know it was a game plan a game plan thing. When you watch Auburn, we like to go really fast all the time mm-hmm. on offense. When you watch Minnesota, they was milking that clock all the way down to two to three seconds every yep. play, every time before they snapped the ball. And it was by design because they want to keep our offense on the sideline so they can't so we couldn't go as fast as we wanted to go to make us uncomfortable. And it worked because when we did get out there, it was a press to get a first down. And when we didn't get a first down, our defense is right back out there. So what happens? It wears your defense down, and offensively, we can't find any rhythm because we're not on the field long enough to develop any. From start to finish, you could see how Minnesota was very specifically prepared for what they're used to seeing from Auburn. And everyone knows the Gus Malzahn-Auburn offense starts with the run game. The run game opens up everything else. And when you shut that down, you pretty much shut down the offense, especially with a guy like Bo Nix, who's still working out his kinks, and some receivers that, weirdly enough, were not as consistent as they normally are. Uh, Some drops that really could have created some momentum. But the, the run game was, I mean, that was the fewest run yards that they had had all season. And I think when you're in that situation, if that's part of your identity and that gets shut down, you're unsure how to adapt and and how to adjust. I was surprised there weren't more deep shots, but again, Bo really was limited on his time and his ability to kind of give his receivers the opportunity to get downfield. So uh, it was just a huge problem offensively starting with the line. They didn't do anyone any favors to, to create any kind of offensive production. What did you see out of Bo though? I mean, the, like I just said, the line didn't help him, but this is a guy that this season, I I feel like he's been solid, but he's been inconsistent. And, And that even seems like a contradiction in and of itself, but you see moments of him really keeping his composure and, and being a a game manager and his decision-making has improved, but he had some off throws. He overshot a little bit. What did you see from him? Yeah, like I said, I think uh, when you sum up his season, I'd probably say it looked like a freshman, you know, saying that there's times that you're going to have those really high moments and then you're going to have some times you kind of scratch your head a little bit. And that's going to happen when you're playing a young quarterback. The thing that he did in this game was he got outside the pocket. He was able to make some plays on his feet, throwing the ball. The thing that I feel like that, 
Chad Morris is going to have to have to work with him on going into this offseason is how to move up in the pocket but stay in the pocket when you don't have to leave the pocket and make those throws. I think yeah. I think for Bo, he feels more comfortable getting outside the pocket because he doesn't fully trust his offensive line. You know, and, yeah. and until he can get to that point and understanding, you know, to trust them a little bit more in this game, I couldn't blame him. You know, we was they wouldn't Minnesota wasn't even blitzing and it was they was getting pressure and we was just blowing assignments up front that just haven't been happening. And I know Coach Coach JB Grimes, I know he he was probably just, you know, beating his head against the wall and, you know, trying to understand like how <laughs> how did this happen? But uh like I said, a lot of the owners gotta go in the players though. Uh, you know, coaches can coach, but at the end of the day, you still gotta go out there and perform. And, and like I said, Bo Bo, he was he was inaccurate on a lot of throws in this game as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of that for him is rhythm and not being able to set your feet and throw the ball because you don't know where the pressure's coming from as a young quarterback and sometimes get to you mentally and uh, can make you move a little bit faster than you have to. But uh, overall, I think there's plenty of film for him to be able to look at. He probably played against the toughest schedule in all of college football this year. Uh, he played He played against some some big mountains, some big dogs, you know, in Florida and LSU on the road and Georgia and Bama at home. So, you know, he's he's seen enough now at this level where – I don't think it really gets any harder for him. Definitely the schedule we play next year after playing this schedule that we had this year. I think it, I think it's a big plus for him, but I think for us to develop him more, we got to develop some type of rhythm passing game. Like we got to find plays where we hitting drag routes. We're hitting over routes. We're hitting in cuts. We're we're going vertical again and everything can't be just a quick play action or throwing a quick out or trying to just, throw a quick slant. We got to find a way to get chunk plays in the passing game. And that's how Minnesota beat us. They got chunk yep. plays in the passing game. And a lot of it was off of their play action because their run game was developing. Like you said, Taylor, if our run game is not happening, we falter. We just kind of fall apart mm-hmm. offensively. But we have to find a way that there are going to be some great defense that we're going to go against that's going to stop the run. So we have to find a way to make them – take the extra man out of the box by developing a rhythm passing game with timing routes and timing completions. Not everything has to look like it's so hard to get. And we've said all season, you know, what Bo has done as a true freshman is certainly worth respect. I mean, Mm -hmm. my hat's off to the way he has handled the stages, even back to his college debut in a neutral site against Oregon. Like he's, he's done great things and, and deserves respect for that. My question, though, is even with his youth and his lack of experience and all of that, great quarterbacks, they just have this it factor. You know what I mean? Like there's just this even the way they carry themselves on the field and and just the energy that they bring to the team. You just get this sense, even subconsciously, that like, okay, they've got this. Like they are the guy for this team. I think when you look around the country, you know who those guys are. Trevor Lawrence, he he will not be denied. Joe Burrow, the most composed I mean, he's got that passing game down to a science at LSU, and they just carry themselves with this certain energy. I, I don't really – it's intangible. You know what I mean? Like, you, right. you can't really teach it. You can't really learn it. You just have it. So as Bo heads into the offseason and a former quarterback like yourself, what needs to happen for him to develop that? Because I don't – I think it is rare to see it in a true freshman, even though we did see it in Trevor Lawrence – but I, I think he could get to that point. But what has to happen 
for him this offseason? What does he focus on? What does he drill into his preparation so that he can be that guy? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, a lot of people go on, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, the great Bo. And then you hear a lot of people say, well, I don't really know about Bo yet. And then you hear some people saying, "Yeah, you know, as high this game, low this game. And the thing is, that's that's football. But for him, it's not reading all those clippings one way or another, but getting in that film room and approaching it with a, a critical mindset. Be your own worst critic. Like, once players around you see you take take uh, take blame for your own stuff, like, just when they see you working hard and they see you saying, guys, I missed this. I got to get this. I got to get this. But then you start holding other guys accountable as well. But then let mm-hmm. other teammates hold you accountable. Like, there was times guys would come up to me in the game on the sideline, like, Jay, let's go. We need you. Like, come on. Like, snap yeah. out of it. You know, and there are times I would go to them and, and I relay the same message because at right. the end of the day, it's a team sport. If you can't accept criticism at this level, then it's not the sport for you. And I know he can accept mm-hmm. criticism because, like I said, his dad was a coach in high school. He coached him up and he's a starting freshman in the SEC in a right. on a big football program. So, of course, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to get here and it takes a hard, lot of hard work to succeed at this level. Like I said, he's going to have, you know, now another guy to help him with Chad Morris, who has helped, you know, guys at the net, at, uh, like Deshaun Watson and, 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 you know, who has been a great recruiter. And when I think mm-hmm. about Taj Boyd that played at Clemson, you know, Coach Chad Morris helped him. You know, Taj wanted to kind of got it going before, before Watson. So he had now has a coach with experience, not only as a head coach, but an offense coordinator has been to national championship games and has coached in big right. moments. So now it all comes down to will Gus and Chad be a great marriage? And if they mm-hmm. can become a great marriage and know how to work with Bo, then this could be really, really good for him and his growth and taking that next step and understanding more of the passing game and, and how to find those check downs and how to get the number two and number three within the progressions. Because Seth Williams – He's going to be a high name next year coming to the season. So a lot of teams are going to double team him. So who's going to be the next guy that he can build more trust in across the board with the receiving quarter to to throw the ball to? I completely agree with you. And I think Chad Morris could be that that guy that helps Bo develop that X factor. I'm hopeful for that. But that also has to be a a balance that Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris have because I don't think that – Chad will be as effective if Gus doesn't let go a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. even Minnesota, Matt Simon was the play caller this week for Minnesota. And PJ Fleck said, I'm not going to micromanage guys. I'm going to make great hires and I'm going to let them do their job. And I think that's got to be what happens with Chad Morris. Gus Malzahn can't have him by the wrist, you know, like he's got to let him mold Bo into what he can be. I think it will be the best thing for Bo. But one moment that actually did stand out to me and give me a little bit of, okay, he's he's got it in him. And it was minuscule and everybody's probably like, what are you even talking about? But Seth Williams got drugged down by his, his shoulder pad, his jersey, and his jersey came off of his shoulder pad. And he got a little animated with the ref because he wanted a PI call and it took them a minute to throw the flag. He ended up getting the call, but he was a little frustrated. And Bo ran over to him and like 
put his hands on his helmet and was talking to him. And then Bo fixed his jersey and like put it back on his shoulder pad and like calmed him down. And that moment to me actually told me a lot about Bo's growth. And it wasn't even a play. It was just his interaction with his guys and especially like his main offensive weapon. He took ownership of that moment. He took on a leadership role and got his guy back into the mental condition that he needed to be in that spoke volumes for me because I think at the beginning of the season Bo a play would happen and he would immediately want to go talk to Gus or look over to the sideline for some kind of instruction he's he's kind of settling in and knowing his role as an offensive leader that moment showed me that I just want him to have that boldness with all of the guys I think he and Seth have really created that over the season but as the quarterback he's got to have that with everybody so I I want that to be a focus of his this offseason Well, obviously another problem and maybe a bigger surprise this week was the defense, especially given the fact that Derek and Marlon were out there. So we're going to break the defense down. But before we do, I want to tell you guys once again about my bookie. Christmas has come and gone, but the Super Bowl is quickly approaching. We've seen just what our teams are capable of this season, and now it's time to get your last bets in before the Super Bowl. Will the Ravens be able to get it done? Will Brady and the Patriots get themselves another ring? Not if Tennessee has anything to say about it. I bet you have a guess as well. Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. My bookie is one of the most trusted in the industry. So if you're looking for a sports book to make some bets for bowl games, my bookie is where you want to go. And if football's not your thing, no worries. Not sure why you're listening to this podcast if football's not your thing, but you know, whatever. My bookie has it all from NBA to the Premier League. They've got you covered. They've got the fastest payouts, best promotions, and a very helpful 24-7 customer service team. You can even pull your bets together for a bigger payout. Let's say you get a couple of big favorites this week. Parlay wagers let you bet multiple games together, and if they all come through, you win big. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. So if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. So if you deposit $2,000, you're going to get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV, which is an abbreviation of BLEAVE to get your extra cash from my bookie. So go bet, win, and get paid. And then send Jason and I a gift card somewhere. Okay, so let's talk about this defense. Just not the defense that we have seen all season. They gave up more rushing yards than they had all season. Minnesota just found a way to exploit any kind of weakness that our defense had. Weaknesses I didn't even know that our defense had. Our secondary looked so freaking slow. I mean, they were outrun by the receivers almost every time. It was just so not what we're expected to seeing. Marlon and Derek, neither of them had a tackle for loss or a sack. What allowed this Minnesota offense to find such success? Was it problems with our defense or was it just more preparation by Minnesota's offense? Well, I think when you look at this, I think it's just uh, Minnesota came out with an attitude of saying, hey, we're going to get behind our big fellas, which is the biggest part of their team is their offensive line. They are huge. Yep. And I think they told them, we're going to ride you to victory. And today yep. is your day. We're going to see you going against two of the best defensive linemen in all of college football. You're going against one of the top three to 
top three defenses in all of college football. And today we want to see what you're made of. Those are the motivation speeches that coaches give when you're going against a challenge. And I think those guys came out and they wanted to accept the challenge. And and they came out and they ran the ball like directly right at us. And the thing that was shocking is, you know, most of the time our DBs come up and hit. In this game, some of them like, I don't know. Now, and, and it's almost yeah. like they were making a business decision or something. So, and that was kind of shocking or whatever because we was getting beat at the point of attack. Like Minnesota was beating us mm-hmm. at the point of attack. And, and and when we did have big plays on defense, when we did straighten up a little bit more in the second half and tighten up, I think our defense would stop them, but then they were right back out there. And when Minnesota right. was going on, they went on one 17-play drive, I believe, and a 12-play drive. And I think most of those were just straight rushing the football. That means it's in the trenches. We're getting down and we're getting dirty, and it's mano on mano. Who wants it more? And sure. and those guys, it, it showed me a lot on – it was third and 10 late in the game. And it's to close the game out. If we stop them, we pretty much get the ball back with a chance to go score. What do they do? They run the ball and they get 11 yards on a carry, on a run. It wasn't even a pass play. To me, yeah. that to me, they knew that coming into this game that they felt like they could run the ball on us. And uh, and, and that was very shocking because, I said, like I said, our defense had been doing really well. Yes, Alabama put up some points against us, but we had two pick sixes for touchdowns. You know, so mm-hmm. it's just certain things that was going on. But for whatever reason, this game, we got beat physically. And we got to be mentally both. And yeah. uh, and that's just a hard pill to swallow. And I know Coach Steele is probably so upset right now because – but Taylor, I, I want to ask you this question, though. Do you think okay. it has something to do with the way our defense gave up points against Alabama and then gave up points and yards on rushing the ball against Minnesota? Do you think it, it, it just got to a point where our defense been carrying this team for so long this season that they just got wore down? That's what I mean. At, at points this season, I was, you know, asking some of our defensive guests that have come on this show, like, at some point, are, are you getting really frustrated by the point that you are doing absolutely everything that could be asked of a defense and your offense never capitalizes on it? And I think that that has to start playing a role. The only thing that I, I, the only reason I would say no to that is because they did have so long to prepare. I mean, the gap between the Iron Bowl to the bowl game, you you have a plenty of time to kind of revitalize and get back amped up. But it's got to be frustrating to see your offense go out there. And if fans feel like a, a lack of confidence in the offense, you know the defense feels it too. So uh, the only – I was just really shocked by it seemed like – an athletic difference between the secondary and Minnesota's wide receivers. I mean, their, their speed was just hard to, to capitalize on. But as far as like the line and just the, the whole play up front, even though it was guys that made the decision to, to play again, it just, I mean, look, those are guys that made the decision to return this season and they really didn't have the season that they expected. So is there a subconscious aspect of, okay, I'm making this decision to play in this bowl game, but knowing Auburn, it's probably not going to be the result that we want. Like there's mental warfare in football. Absolutely. And I think given the up and down of the season, this defense had lost some mental toughness, which is disappointing because they certainly had the talent and they just didn't show it. But which one surprised you more the way the D line played or the way the secondary played? Oh, I'd probably say the way the secondary played, um, just because yeah. of the simple fact that 
you know, we got beat on some chunk plays. And uh, I mean, like some chunk plays. That was big plays yep. in the ball game that, that was turning points. And when you think about our secondary, you know, the guys that we're losing, you know, we're losing both safeties and now we're losing both corners, you know, uh, Obanagi gone and then uh, Javaris Davis is already, you know, gone. He's a senior. So, you know, it just goes to show you, like, there's work to be done this all season. There are jobs up for for to win. Uh, it's going to come, yeah. come it's like the Cadillac said, this is going to be one of the probably, you know, he's only been there one year, but he said, you know, just looking across the board, everyone that's returning, it's going to have to be some type of competitive environment for guys that want to win games. And I'm just shocked about our secondary because these guys have been so physical all year. And they've been coming up hitting people. They've been getting their hands on balls. You know, we may not get a lot of interception, but we've made a lot of deflections. And and there was some plays we was getting beat. We were even five yards close to the receiver. And that was mm-hmm. the thing that was kind of shocking me was, you know, was it a technique issue? Was it a, you know, getting caught looking in the backfield because this team runs the football so much and you can get you can get lollygagged to sleep. And this thing, you know, this guy's running by you, or you, or you caught up in play action. Like, where are your eyes? Where are your feet? And to me, I think some of it was they got caught off guard with a big punch from Minnesota, and yeah. uh, and I think our defense got caught off guard as a whole. You know, our linebackers are really fast, you know, and everything. But when someone come downhill at you the way that they came downhill at us, you know, I don't know if we was. I don't know if I guys thought it was going to be that type of game. Yeah, it was a shock to the system for both sides, I would say. And, I mean, I got to give credit to Minnesota's quarterback, Tanner Morgan. I mean, he's been effective as a passer all season, and we saw mm-hmm. it again this week. Obviously, their run game had a lot of success, but this is a guy that just really got the pass game going. And, honestly, I've gotten so accustomed to not seeing the deep ball that when I do, I'm like, oh, that's so impressive. When really it's like that should be a really easy part of your offense if you've got a good quarterback with good relationships with his receivers, athletic receivers, which they also have. But another thing that really stood out to me is there were several reliable weapons for him to utilize. And I think that goes back to what we've said. Like we know Seth Williams is is the guy and he's going to be the guy and what he and Bo have is great, but he cannot be the only one. We've got to have more guys on the offense receiver wise that we put out on the perimeter. And we have a lot of faith in because the deep ball almost seems like it's, it's a pretty much every time we go for a deep ball, it feels like a hail Mary. You know what I mean? Like you don't have that reliability in it. And I think Minnesota, I mean, even that, one-handed fourth down catch by their tight end. I mean, Tyler Johnson was the guy making all the big plays, but then that tight end came down with the one-handed catch on fourth down that really kind of sealed the deal. So like Tanner Morgan had all these weapons to utilize. If one was shut down, then he he had another one that he trusted just as much. So I think that's got to be a key point of emphasis for this offense moving forward. Yeah, that number one receiver wasn't the one that had 200 yards. <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. So that goes to show you like, hey, yes, we took away their number one receiver. He still had some catches. But this other kid had 12 to 14 catches with 200 some yards receiving. So it right. goes to show you that, you know, they work together as a unit. You want to shut down him? Okay, we got somebody else to step up. But that also takes trust in your quarterback, trust in the other mm-hmm. guys. And I think that's what we talked about earlier is Bo this all season developing trust with other guys other than just Seth Williams, where he feels comfortable enough to throw them the ball. Even if it's even if it's a Hail Mary type, he can let it go. But we have to find a way to average two plays per quarter where we're taking shots downfield. And again, that starts with the O-line giving him time. 
to sit back there and give the receivers time to get downfield. It all works together as a unit. We know that. And this unit just basically didn't show up in Tampa. And that is what it is. Very disappointing into the season. But for me as an Auburn fan, and I mean, I love Auburn with my entire heart and I will be a loyal supporter through and through, even through inconsistency. But at some point there there can't be excuses like the tough schedule, the coaching movement, a true freshman quarterback guys are focused on the NFL. All of that is irrelevant. Like the great teams, the truly great teams, they win the games that they should win. And that should have been the case here. I think unfortunately this validated that this Auburn team was good. It wasn't great. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. Like we always say in the locker room, you know, there, there are no excuses. You know, we play the game. They they get dressed just like we get dressed. They put their shoes on the same way we put our shoes on. You know, it's all mm-hmm. sometimes the game is won in between the ears, you know, as much as as much as it is physically. And I always say that because how you prepare your mind coming into a game, where your focus is at is a key because that may you're either locked in or you're not. You can't be halfway in or halfway out like you're either all in or you're not and this game just looked like we were halfway in which means to me we was not all the way in so yes that is true like we have to stop making excuses um as a football program if we want to be where we want to be we got to show up and play every week because guess what everybody's gonna play a tough schedule here and there and Mm -hmm. we're a tough team you know, we're a team that has great athletes. We do an outstanding job recruiting. I, I tip my hat off to our coaching staff every year in recruiting. So us getting talent is not an issue. And what we have to change the approach, I think, is we have to create mental toughness within our players. And that starts in the offseason. You know, that starts in the offseason. You can't wait to August and September and say this is where it no. Starting mental toughness starts in January when those workouts start back and in February when those workouts start back. Those were, to me, was the hardest workouts I've ever been through was in January and February because Coach Tuberville wanted to weed out what we consider who's going to be, who wants to be here and who don't want to be here. And when times gets tough, who's going to fight and who's going to cave in? And he wanted to know right then and there before we even started spring practice. And then once spring practice started, yes, I was a quarterback, but our spring practices were very like, like high level going, like going after each other as far as like we're trying to see like who wants to be on this team and who has the mental toughness and who can fight through adversity, who can fight through injuries, who can, who, who wants, who wants it more. And yes, all these kids come on our campus are coming from different backgrounds, different places. Great. But guess what? Once you get to Auburn, I don't care if you're a five-star in high school, four-star, three-star, it doesn't matter. It's what you do once you get on campus to improve yourself. If you're a one-star and you want it bad enough, guess what? You can win a starting job. Because I played with two guys at Auburn that came in as walk-ons and ended up playing the National Football League for six to seven years because they earned their scholarship because they outworked a four-star, five-star because they wanted it more. Nobody handed them anything. They had to go get it. Some of these kids, I feel like they're so used to getting handed things or we're so used to hurting their feelings or something. We got to get out of that mm-hmm. mindset. We got to get in the mindset that if you want to transfer, go ahead, leave. 
Like, I'm not buttering you to stay here, you know, because right. you know why? I'm going to start stacking my recruiting classes. Every position is going to be too deep. So if the one in front of you got a problem and don't want to act right, all right, hey, next man up. And if you create that kind of attitude and mindset, you weed out those that really want to play for Auburn and those that really don't want to be here or those that really want to be baby or those that want to be men because you can't have one or the other. We got to create men and we got to get guys that want to be here and we got to stop treating these kids as if we're scared they're going to transfer. If they want to do that, let them go ahead. Like if you're scared of competition, don't come to Auburn. Tell them that. You know, because – that's how you win at this level. You got to be ready to fight and compete for jobs and stop being on somebody to hand you something. No one's giving us anything. We're Auburn. And we mm-hmm. felt like Minnesota was going to walk out there and just hand us a win because we're Auburn. Oh, we beat Alabama. We're Auburn. No. When you <laughs> go out there and you win a game like you against Alabama, guess what? You become the hunted. Now, Minnesota yeah. want to make a name for themselves and say, hey, guys, we're playing against one of the better teams in the country. They held LSU to 20, 23 points. They lost by three. So they easily could be playing in the playoffs and national championships. So if we want to get to that level, we need to measure ourselves up today or where we're at as a university with our football program and how far we got to go. So let's see where we're at today. And that's what they did. They came out there to that, and we didn't look at it that way. For whatever reason, we thought, oh, they're the Big Ten. They play base defense. They're big boys, but they're not as fast as us because we recruit a lot of speed. But guess what? Yes, speed can beat teams sometimes. But guess what? That day, size won because it it was a mentality for them. And uh, it was very disappointing, you know, upset about it. And, you know, pretty sure if if you're a player, you're in that locker room, you're not upset. Something's wrong with your competitiveness. No, that's a great point. I think the the mental aspect of this football program needs needs a shake up. I, I think we need grittiness added back to that team. You don't you don't really see a lot of grit. And their whole thing this season was ride for the brand. And I think that they represented the brand in some ways, but I think we need to add to it. And, and I think the grit and the energy and the intensity befi- behind our football program needs to be ramped up. And that doesn't start come spring ball. That starts now. For the guys that are returning next year, they need to be creating that culture right now. And I'm hopeful that we will get to to see that and that next year we'll bring uh, more of that spark that we've been wanting to see because I really don't know how much longer the inconsistency of Auburn football is going to fly. Well, before we wrap this up, um, I do want to mention, we haven't talked about it yet, but obviously the Auburn family lost a legend the day after the Iron Bowl as Pat Sullivan passed away. I thought the team's helmets that they wore in the bowl game to honor him, they all had number seven on the side. I thought that was so special and so cool. Um, and, and I'm really proud of the way that they honored him in the last game. I know you know him, Jason, and, mm-hmm. and you had a relationship with him. So I would just love to hear from your perspective, you know, what kind of an impact he had on Auburn. Yeah, you know, Pat was a great guy. He was an awesome icon uh, for our university. Uh, he left a great legacy uh, in every aspect, you know, not just his playing on the football field, but who he stood for as a person, uh, you know, his character, his spirituality, and everything. And, uh, you know, he've always made a conscious effort to come and speak to me whenever I had an opportunity to, to see him. And we was in the same room. And even mm-hmm. when he got down, 
you know, he still was coming around and uh, had an opportunity to still shake his hand and, and, and hold a conversation with him. So, you know, we definitely lost a legend, but a legend that left a great legacy for, for young men to follow and, uh, and everything. And when you think Auburn, you know, you think Pat Sullivan, you know, he's that yeah. type, he's just that type of guy and, uh, and everything he did. And I thought it was outstanding for the players and the coaches and, uh, and the trustees to, to come up with honoring him, uh, with the helmets. They were awesome. They looked great. Um, you know, it, it was, it was a tremendous, it was a tremendous honor that they came up with and to keep it quiet for as long as they did, uh, was yeah. impressive, you know, that it didn't leak at all was impressive yeah. as well. So, you know, kudos to the team and the coaches for, um, and the trustees for, for doing that. Pretty sure it meant a lot to his family uh, and everything. And like I say, you know, Pat touched so many people. You know, he was not just a player, yeah. but he was a coach. You know, he even coached Stan White that uh, I do some of the radio work with on game mm-hmm. day. And, you know, Stan speaks very highly of him as well. And, uh, and, and he had his own coaching career as he left, you know, Auburn and went other places and coached. And so he's touched a lot of young men in, in this university and a lot of people in Birmingham, you know, where he was living at. Uh, he was a tremendous leader in that, in in the state of Alabama and in, and in Alabama and in Birmingham. So, you know, a lot of great things for him to say, and uh, and uh, we're going to truly miss him. But uh, he he definitely left his mark on Auburn and left his mark on other young guys come through there. Absolutely, he is certainly the example of an Auburn man, and I'm sure players will continue to try and emulate uh, the impact that he had on the university and and really the community. So our thoughts and prayers are with his family as they you know move forward after this loss, and his legacy will certainly live on in Auburn. That's not going anywhere. Well, that wraps it up for us here today. On Tiger Talk, thank you for listening as we broke down the final game of the season. Lucky for us, though, basketball season is off to a great start. So (laughs) we do have some other things to look forward to. (laughs) Basketball is looking good. Baseball is preseason ranked in the top 10. Gymnastics season is about to start. So there's always plenty of good to be talking about with Auburn. Am I right? So be sure and join us every week. Jason and I are going to keep making this thing fun and interesting for you Auburn fans out there. So we will be back next week and listen, people, this Auburn football team will bounce back. I know today's episode, we were, we were real. We weren't going to sugarcoat it today, but next season is a clean slate and I'm, I'm optimistic of what they're going to put on the field. So War Eagle, everybody. War Eagle. Everyone has a favorite photo. Now you can turn yours into canvas wall art at canvasworld.com. Canvasworld.com will print your photograph on a handcrafted custom canvas at the size of your choice. They combine the latest technology and environmentally friendly inks to produce canvas prints that are higher quality than ever available before. And they guarantee their work for life. Maybe that's why six of the country's top 10 hotel chains choose Canvas World. Their prices are a fraction of what you'd pay elsewhere and and it's easy. Just upload your photo, choose a size, and you're done. They'll even digitally retouch your photo absolutely free. Place your order at canvasworld.com today and save 35%. Plus, get free shipping when you enter promo code photo at checkout. Get big canvas prints at big savings at canvasworld.com and save 35% and get free shipping when you enter promo code photo at checkout. Order yours today at canvasworld.com. That's canvasworld.com, where photos become art. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
You're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.